Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter number 3. The book of 1 John chapter 3 and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1, the Word of God says this. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath... <coughs> Hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth at the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God is manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark two phrases that we find in the book of 1 John chapter 3? The book of 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 10, the two phrases I would like for you to mark is the children of God and the children of the devil. The children of God and the children of the devil. And with the Lord's help, I want to preach the message about the children of God and the children of the devil. The children of God and the children of the devil. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that we could come up to you and you, you have adopted us. You have married us. You, we have been born of you and that we are yours. I'm asking that you would just give much grace, much understanding, much wisdom through this message here. That you would be a help and that you would be an encouragement to your children. Lord, I, I know of myself that I need you. So once again, I beg and I ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. I reckon myself dead. And that you would get your own work through your precious holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We understand that we are in a battleground. And that there are two groups of people. There's the children of God and the children of the devil. And you know, this isn't very popular to talk about because to be honest... 
the world, in fact, much of the Christianity, like to try to teach that everyone's a child of God. All the Muslims, they're children of God. All the, all the Hindus, they're the children of God. All the atheists, they're really children of God. Everyone's God's child. I'm sorry to say, and I know it's not politically correct, but that is not true. When we are born, we are born of this flesh. We are born sinners. And ladies, you'll be glad to hear that we inherit our sin nature from our fathers. It's our daddy's fault that we inherit our sin nature. And children are sinners from the womb. You don't have to teach them to lie. You never had a course when they were three or four. You never had to say, all right, now this is how we lie. This is how we cheat. This is how we, we deceive. No. Children are sinners from the womb. And they sin because they're sinners. You've all been there if you've had a child around you, whether you've been a parent or had children around, where you hear that blood-curdling scream in the middle of the night, and you're running, what's the matter, what's the matter? You know, are they starving, do they fall, do they hurt themselves, diaper pin, pin, you know, what is it? And you go in there, and the baby looks up at you and goes, goo. Just wanted attention, little selfish little sinners. And we laugh at it, but we have to acknowledge it's true. And when we are born, we're born of the flesh, and we are born into, as what Jesus says, into our father, the devil. We inherit a sin nature, and just like Satan cannot help but to sin, we can't help but to sin. We are sinners. We know some people who try to curb the behavior, but they still sin. And so we have the children of the devil who outnumber us, by the way. And it takes a special miracle to become born. You see, to become born again, we have to recognize that we are sinners. And because of our sins, we have offended a holy, righteous God. And that our only hope is Jesus Christ who died for us and he rose from the grave for us. And we must personally ask Jesus to be our Savior. When we do that, it is an event. One of the things I've gotten the habit of doing is when I lead someone to the Lord and I can really tell that their eyes got it, you know, there, there's something when you lead them to the Lord, their eyes light up and you can tell that they got it. What I try to do is I try to get a piece of paper and say, this is your brand new birthday. Why? Because I'm making it a big deal. This is an event. Just like when you were born, we just got through singing someone happy birthday. You know, you could sing happy birthday twice. You have two birthdays. Happy birthday to you, only one will not do. Born again means salvation. How many do you? You know, we should have two births. And it is an event. It is a big deal. And when that happens, we become the children of God. And there is a difference between the children of God children of the devil and again I know it's not politically correct not everyone is going to heaven not everyone has God as their father and not everyone can expect answers to prayer you say wait 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 a second I thought God answers everyone prayer well let me explain it like this that we have the children of God those are God's kids just like your kids if you have children, you have a responsibility to feed and clothe them. 
If one of your children legitimately say, Daddy, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in a while. I have a responsibility as a father to feed him. If my children come up and say, Daddy, my clothes, they're wrapped, my shoes are all busted open. I need these new things. As a father, I have a responsibility to make sure that it's taken care of. There's certain things. Now, if the neighbor kid comes up and says, Pastor, Mr. Bockhouse, I'm hungry. You know, I'm not on any obligation to feed them, though out of the kindness of my heart, I may choose to, but I'm not under obligation to feed them. If they come up and as a neighbor kid and says, Pastor, Mr. Bockhouse, uh, my clothes are up there. I have nothing. Can you please help me? I may choose to out of the kindness of my heart, but I'm under no obligation. You see, God is the same way. He may choose so because he's God and he's a good God, but he is under no obligation to help those who are of the child of the devil. They are the neighbor's kids. And it's not his responsibility to take care of those who are not. Now, he may choose to, but that's because he's a good God and he loves to do so, but he's not, not any obligation to do so. But there is a difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. If you don't mind, let's look at 1 John chapter 3 and let's look at some things concerning us as the children of God. Notice if you wouldn't mind in verse number 1, the first thing I'd like to do is show you the sons of God. The sons. Now, before I dive into this, chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 is some of the most unsearchable verses there are. You could go through and read these three verses over and over and over and pull something else new from it. These are unsearchable riches in these three verses. Notice verse 1. Behold. That has the idea of explanation. You can't say behold. Behold! What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What a wonderful thing. He's saying, and as an announcement, behold, what manner of love. That word, what manner of love, that's an English phrase that used to come from the idea of what country, search what country, search what nation, search any area and find something that matches this. Behold, what manner of love. He says, find a type of love that matches this. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Do you know that God has loved us so much? You know, there are three ways of entering into a family. You can enter a family by being born, by blood. You can enter a family by adoption, by law, that they have adopted you in. You could be born of a family by being married into it. Or you could be brought into a family by being married to it. Do you know that's what God did? He did all three of those things. We were born again. He is marrying us as the bride of Christ. And by the way, he will never disown us. He'll never kick us out. He'll never divorce us. We have that security. We are in his family threefold times, as the Bible says. We are one of his. And one he has given to us that he has chosen to allow us to be the sons of God. Notice this too. It says, behold what manner of love the Father. 
Do you know in the Old Testament, we were just talking about the names of God. The Old Testament had a lot of names of God. It had the, the proper name of God, Elohim, the, the, the God, the self-sufficient one. It has the personal name of God in the Old Testament, Jehovah, the great I am. It talks about Adonijah, the master. Then you put things together, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord banner Jehovah Jireh the God who provides Jehovah uh, or El Rohi the the God who sees me then you go through and see all these names but in the New Testament we get a brand new name of God that was not seen in the Old Testament and that's the name Father you know that's a whole different name altogether Father that, that we don't longer have to just say the proper name of God or just even know the personal name of God we can call him father and he has made us our children or his children we are the children of God he is our father and we have a special relationship because he is our father we have special privileges because he is our father notice as it goes therefore the Lord knoweth us or the world knoweth us not because it knew him not do you know that there's only one way to know God and that's through the Bible people try to search and find God in so many different ways. They may go through religion. They may go through nature. They may go through their own beliefs. But there's only one way to know God, and that's through the Word of God. And because people try to search out God and they try to formulate God, they don't know Him the way He desires to be known. But we have a special privilege. We can know him because we found the answer. We have the book and we can know him. Even though the rest of the world may not know him, we can know him. And that's the privilege we have as being the sons of God. You know, being a child of God, there's also something else I want to show you. Not only the sons of God, but I want to show you the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. Notice with me in verse number 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You know, Jesus Christ is coming back. Jesus Christ, who was God, robed in flesh, came on this earth and lived the same life that I, you and I lived. Then he died on the cruel cross. He was buried on a borrowed tomb and then he rose again. He rose again and spent 40 days showing himself risen, showing himself alive to many, many witnesses. There was once 500 at one time saw him. And then that same Jesus, he had lifted up his arms on the Mount of Olivets and he lifted up. And the disciples are all staring at the sky. They're looking up, trying to see where's he at. Finally, they just stood there staring for so long that God had to send an angel and say, hey, all right. Get to work now. He's not coming back. But he said, this same Jesus, that same Jesus you saw come up, that same Jesus is coming down. And that's the same Jesus. He's coming back literally. He's coming back in the flesh. It's this very same Jesus. It's not a brand new Jesus. That same Jesus is coming. And he is coming back for you. And he's coming back for me. And notice what it says. Beloved, or we... Now we are the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. You know, a lot of people are curious about heaven. But to be honest, we can't understand heaven. It's so beyond our comprehension. This is what John is writing here through the inspiration of Scripture. He says, hey, 
We know what we are now. Right now, we're the sons of God. But to be honest, we don't know what we're going to be like up in heaven. I can't describe to you what we're going to be like. I can't describe the perfect bodies we're going to... I can't describe all the different colors that you'll see and all the different things you'll view. I can't describe it and neither can we. So he says, kids' favorite answer, just wait and see. Don't kids love that answer? You know, I got a surprise for you. What is it? What is it? Wait and see. Oh, I got. we're going to go do something good tomorrow. What is it? Oh, wait and see. Just wait till we get home. What is it? Wait and see. You know, we, that's what he tells us here. We don't know what it's going to be like. We can't describe what it's going to be like. All we know now is we're the sons of God and we got some wonderful things ahead of us, but we can't describe it. We can't imagine it. It's beyond our comprehension. We don't know what we're going to be like. Oh, but we know that he's coming back for us. And everything's going to be different when he does. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him. You know one of the things that we're going to, it's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back? Is we get a brand new body. You know this brand new body is going to be a body that will never grow old. Doesn't that sound good? Someone was telling me today that he didn't know if he was going to survive. It took a tough person to become old, right? The older you get, the tougher you got to, the more you got to survive. All the aches and the pains, waking up in the morning and you move and you pop and snap, crackle and pop and make all kinds of noises with it. <coughs> one thing about life is that no one else is getting out of here alive, right? You know, when you get old, there's all kinds of things. But when you get this brand new body, it's a body that will never grow old. It's a body that will never get sick. It's a body that will not feel pain. It's a body that's going to be amazing. What's even better, it's a body that will no longer sin against God. I'm looking forward to that time where a time where I'll no longer fail my Savior anymore. It's a time where I'll look forward to being like Him and I will not fail Him. I will not sin. I can't wait for that time. That's what it says that when He comes, one thing we do know, we're going to be like Him because we're going to see Him as He is. We're going to be like Him. We're going to get the brand new bodies. We're going to get the promises. Notice verse number three. And every man that hath this hope, remember this word hope has the idea of a confident expectation of someone sure to come. Because of this hope, because we know Jesus Christ is coming back for us, because we know we're going to face him and he's going to meet us, he's going to meet us, this same Jesus. Every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know, the more that you think that Jesus Christ is coming and that Jesus Christ can come back at any time, makes us examine our own lives and makes us say, one day I'm going to face him. One day I'm going to give an account for what I do in my life. I was talking with uh, some people the other day and we were talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know that the Bible says that every idle word is going to be brought into judgment? The idle word is the things that we just say off the cuff or flippantly just kind of says. Do you know that also meant, means the sung word? I don't know about you, but I have a jukebox in my head I wish I don't, didn't have. And all it takes is to walk in the grocery store and it plays a couple bars. And the next thing, 
I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm starting to sing some old, nasty, filthy, secular song. Do you know that I'm going to stand before God and give an account for the words that I just got through saying? You know, when I stand before him, there's going to be a lot to be an accounting for. I'm going to stand before him and give an account for my life. And when I think that he is coming back, it purifies me knowing that I have to stand before God and I have to be judged. Now, I'm thankful for that judge if, because we're the sons of God. It's not going to be judged because of sin. I'm not going to stand in account. I no longer owe God the debt of hell. But when I stand in the judgment seat, I'm being judged for the things I did for Christ. And I'm seeing the, the things I did not do for Christ and the consequences because of it. The Bible talks about in Romans 14 that no, one, no man lives to himself. It means you don't live in a bubble. Every action you do has consequences. You either draw people closer to the Lord or you send them further apart because of our actions. And that is what we're going to give account for. We're going to see the ripple effect of what we have done. We're going to see the consequences for that time that we blew up and other people went, ooh. And we're going to see how that affected people spiritually. When we say that we're Christians and then we misbehave in front of people, we're going to see how that affects people in their lives. The same thing is true that when we are Christ-like and we're doing what we should be, we get to see the consequences of that and how it affects other people. For example, I gave you the illustration the other day of D.L. Moody, that there was a man who was concerned for D.L. Moody's soul. D.L. Moody was working as a shoe salesman. And the man walked into D.L. Moody's business where he was working for the purpose of saying, son, I want to tell you about the Lord. You know, we don't, I don't remember the guy's name, but we know D.L. Moody's name, and he won thousands of people to the Lord and trained thousands of preachers. You know that one man, because of his actions, to go into a shoe store, he's going to see the consequences of those actions in a good way for all those things that happen. That's the type of judgment we want, to be able to stand and see what our actions have done for Christ. And it should change the way we live our life knowing that Christ is coming back and I'm going to have to face him. We've shown you here in the book of 1 John, we showed you the sons of God. We explained the second coming of Christ. I want to show you another thing if you wouldn't mind, the Savior who takes away sins. The Savior who takes away sins. Notice with me if you wouldn't mind in verse number 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Here he goes back and he says, well, let's define our terms. Do you know what sin is? It's transgression. It's trespassing. You guys see people that have the no trespassing signs. You know what sin is? It's hopping the fence and going to somewhere where you're not supposed to go. You know, isn't it true in our life, especially as Christians that we have to hop obstacles that God places in our way in order to get to sin? You know, we have to purposely go to sin and hop over things to get to it. That, that God puts up big trespassing signs. Some of them are low, some of them are high. But you know, sometimes we will climb a whole electric fence that's really high with barbed wire to get to sin because we want to sin. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we do that from time to time. We, we, we go to it. 
But that's what it is. Sin is trespassing against God's borders. Going where he said, don't go. He put borders around us and say, stay here. And we jump the fence. That's what sin is. It's transgression against the law. Notice in verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested. So Jesus appeared to take away our sins and in him is no sin. That Jesus came to die for us and he wasn't a sinner himself. He bore our sins on him and we received his account upon us. That Jesus, he died for us. Now I want to remind you that he's writing to Christians here. He's talking about the sons of God. You know, we need to hear that old, old story over and over. We should never get tired of hearing about Calvary. We should never be tired of hearing about the cross. In fact, we need it more because the more that we stay with the cross, the more that we stay away from sin, realizing what Jesus did for us and that he died for us and that he was the Savior who took away our sins. He paid our price. When you think he paid our price, isn't it harder to willfully sin knowing that he paid our price? All this is for the purpose of keeping us away from sin. He's already said, you're the sons of God. He's already said, I'm coming back and you're going to have to stand before me. He says, not only that, I took away your sins. All leading to the last thing I want to show you, the secret of living in victory. The secret for living in victory. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, verse number 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. This is an important statement. Notice again that ETH, we've explained before that in the Greek language, they have a different tense than English. In English, we have present, we have past, and we have future. So I used to do this. I will do this. I am currently doing this. We have the three tenses. Well, in the Greek language, they have something called the perfect tense, which is continual action. And because of the, the translators, they wanted to be as honest as possible. They, added the, they had these words that had the ETHs that shows continual action. So notice this with the idea of continual action. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. So this is a true statement. If someone makes it a habit of staying close to Christ, he doesn't sin. Doesn't that make sense? When you stay close to Christ, you don't don't sin. So if you're in the habit of being in your Bible, you're in the habit of praying, you're in the habit of going to church, you're in the habit of staying close to Him, you stay away from sin. That's a pretty easy secret, isn't it? Just get in the habit of staying to Him. Verse 6, Whosoever abideth in Him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen Him, neither known Him. So here... Him that sinneth, this is a person that has continually sinned and has not repented of it. I can do whatever I want, I don't care. Oh, but I'm a Christian, let's go to the bar. Oh, I'm a Christian, let's go do drugs. I'm a Christian, let's go womanize. I'm a Christian, it doesn't match up. You know that person who says they're a Christian and is in the habit of sinning? That's because they don't know Christ. You say, well, wait a second, I know so-and-so. Well, I'm not trying to judge people's life, but I'm trying to tell you it doesn't match up. And there's a lot of people who profess to be Christian who are not the sons of God. There's something off in their life. And it doesn't match up. Notice in verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous, 
uh, righteousness is righteous, even as his, he is righteous. So here again, the Bible makes it simple. You know, right people will do right things. Saved people will do Christian things. People who love the Lord will do the things that are pleasing to the Lord. That's all it's talking about is that if you're trying to be right with God, you will automatically do right things. I remember a couple years ago, I was talking with a man and he was saying, oh, this Christian life, it's a bunch of rules and things I can't do and I can't do this and I can't do this. You know, the Christian life is not a bunch of rules. It's all about Christ. And if you try to be pleasing to Christ, if you try to live pleasing to him, you will do right things. You know, someone who's trying to do right doesn't need to be told, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. You automatically do those things that's right. Someone who's not following after Christ, they're capable of anything. But if you're trying to do what's right, you will do what's right. You don't need to be told. You don't need a list. You don't need a checklist. Well, in order to be a good Christian, I did this and do this, do this. You know, sometimes people take a list like, uh, say, all right, you're going to read your Bible and pray and, and go to church and give and pass out some tracts. And what they'll do is say, all right, check, 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 check. All right, I can do whatever I want now because I did my checklist. That's not what it's talking about. You don't need a list of do's and don'ts if you're just trying to be pleasing to him. That's the simplicity of the Christian life. You don't have to worry about what you can do and what you can get away with. Just live right. And that's all that matters. Live pleasing to Him. Notice as it goes on, if you wouldn't mind, verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, the... uh, Apostle John, under the inspiration of Scripture, is not going to the theological intricacies of the dual life. You see, when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit come inside of you, but you also have this old, nasty flesh, and you have two two, uh, parts of you that are in competition, that are fighting with each other. The Apostle Paul takes a lot of time to go through the book of Romans and explains the flesh life and the fight here. But John, he just makes it simple. That the Holy Spirit part of you, it can't sin. And so if you allow the Holy Spirit to have control, you're good. It's when the flesh is in control, that's where everything gets messed up. I'm just trying to simplify it, but that's pretty simple, isn't it? If we just yield to the Holy Spirit's control, we're going to do what's right. If we yield to the flesh, we're going to mess up. But you know what Jesus Christ did? He died so we don't have to sin. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write that down again if you haven't done it already. As a Christian, we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. You know what that means? As a Christian, anytime we do sin, it's because we chose to. As a Christian, you don't accidentally sin. You choose to sin. Jesus died so we don't have to sin. Someone might say, well, preacher, do you believe in sinless perfection? Unfortunately, I do not because the Bible says we're not going to be perfect till we get to heaven. But one thing I do believe in is as Christians, we can sin less and less and less. And we should strive for it. I think it is a poor excuse when someone says, well, no one's perfect. No, get rid of that sin, confess it, and get right with God Don't use it as an excuse. But we as Christians, as we get closer with the Lord, we should be sinning less 
and less and less. We should be getting further away from it. But as Christians, we don't have to sin because Jesus has provided a way. We have a way of escape. We have the Holy Spirit within us. And if we let the Holy Spirit stay in control, we will not sin. It's when the flesh gets involved we mess up. Verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Once again, he's simplifying the fact that we have a dual nature. And the Holy Spirit part of us cannot sin because God cannot sin and the Holy Spirit God. God cannot sin. He cannot lie. And so if we let the Holy Spirit have control... We will not sin. In verse number 10, In this the children of God are manifested. So because of all the things he said before, we can set aside and say these are the children of God. It becomes apparent that they are Christians because they live like Christians. He says, In this the children of God are manifest. And with the same idea, In this the children of the devil are manifest. You can separate the two groups. These are the people who live for the flesh. These are the people who live for God. These are the people who want to be pleased. These are the children of God and they live like it. These are the children of the devil because they act like their father, the devil. They act just like Satan who cannot help but to sin, who cannot help but to to be a sinner. Notice in verse 10, And this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God. Notice that ETH, that continual action. Someone who is in the habit of their life of not living right, (laughs) they're of the children of the devil. You see, this is almost the second time he's putting emphasis on the same thing. That, hey, if you're a Christian... You should be living like a Christian. There's something inside of you called the Holy Spirit that will help you live right and guide you and and that sometimes you almost can't help it to live right because you're going to be changed from the inside out. But someone who says, I'm a Christian, but they continually sin, they continually do opposite of the Bible, and they don't care what the Bible says, they are are not the sons of God. There is something wrong because when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, he changes us from the inside out. It doesn't mean that a sin, that a a Christian may not get bitter and may not have a time where they backslide. We understand, but the, the continual habit of their life should be following after the Lord. Notice again in verse number 10. And this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now we had talked about that before, that one of the ways that we are proven that we have a changed life is how we treat one another. You know, the world treats everyone else awful. There should be something different in the way that we treat people. For example, we were talking about a tragedy that had happened. And it's a horrible tragedy. We understand that people may be in sin, but we need to love the sinner and hate the sin. We have to be compassionate. We have to show that there's something different in the way that we behave. You know, it's easy to love someone who loves you back. It's harder to love someone who hates you. And we need to be people who are different People who are different. And there should be a different in our attitude and how we treat people, how we work with people. There should be something different. Hereby, uh, the world should know that you're my disciples, Jesus said. 
Why? Because we love the brethren. How we treat one another. We should not be having a church member stew or preacher uh, uh, chewing on the preacher during meals. We should be finding ways to be a blessing to people, finding ways to be an encouragement, finding there should be something different about how we act and behave because we are the children of God and no longer the children of the devil. There should be a something that we live. So as we talked about this, we know that the Christian's life, its habit is that we should be sinning less and less and less. May I ask you a question? Looking back this last week, what half, what part of you has been in control this week? Has it been the Holy Spirit? Has he been guiding your actions? Or has it been your flesh that's been in control? What is it that's been dominating your life? What is it that has the control? What is it that's been leading this week? You know, I understand we could have bad weeks, but it's a good thing to recognize it and say, let's let God have control. Let's let God lead. Let's let God go. Maybe perhaps as we've been talking about this, you're thinking in your mind that I can't help but to sin. I continue to sin and there's almost no stopping me. I've always thought I was a Christian, but... There's no restraint in my life. Maybe perhaps it's a good thing for you to recognize it. Maybe perhaps you are not saved. Now, I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. What I am trying to do is shake it loose. Because if you're saved, I can't shake it out of you. If you're not saved and you're doubting and say, I just don't know, let me tell you, get it settled. It'd be our privilege to show you from the Bible. You know the worst thing that can happen is for me to preach a message like this and say that there's a difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. And for someone to say, you know what? There's no change in my life. There's never been a time where I was changed from the inside out. There was never an event where I became a child of God. And for you to hear a message like this and to have it pointed out and you to walk out these doors and never get it settled. You know it would break all of our heart for us to get to heaven and find that you didn't make it there, especially hearing that you've been warned clearly. You say, well, I'm afraid what people will say. Let me tell you what people will say. They'll say, amen, praise the Lord that you got it settled. There won't be a single person who goes, oh, everyone will be glad that you got it settled. It'd be the greatest thing. We would cheer and rejoice and we'd go beside you. We want most of all to see you up in heaven. Don't let pride keep you from getting saved. Don't let pride send you to hell. I will go to hell for no man. Don't let, uh, don't let pride, don't let something inside of you. But I want you to examine your life now. Is there a change? Is there something in you that wants to do what's right? Is there something in you that wants to forsake sin in order to be pleasing to Him? Is there something inside of you that says, I want God to be pleased with me? If there is not, once again, I want you to come in just a minute in an invitation. And it would be our privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. And to get it settled. Oh, what a great relief it would be in your life to stop playing church. To stop saying I'm a Christian because I claim to be a Christian. And to have it settled down to be a child of the King.
as for you, Christian, you say, I know for sure that I'm, I'm saved, then you understand that we're all sinners and we all mess up. But what determines day by day how your day goes and how pleasing you are to him is whether you let the Holy Spirit stay in control or whether you take the reins. Are you in the habit of dying to self? Are you in the habit of letting God take control of your life? Are you in the habit of surrendering to him? If not, if you haven't made that your habit, let me encourage you that you need to be filled with God's spirit. That you need to have God in control of your life. You need to have God to keep you from sin. And you can be. It doesn't take a long process to be filled with the Spirit. It takes a sincere desire to empty yourself out and to be surrendered to Him. Maybe you've never been filled with the Spirit. Maybe you've never had the place where you've totally surrendered and say, God, you take control. Let me encourage you, you could do that tonight. And you could say, this is where I died. In fact, imagine in your mind a little grave and say, this is where I died and now God liveth in me, he's in charge. I am dead. I let God be in charge today. Who is in control? The children of God are manifest. The children of the devil is manifest. Which side do you end up falling in? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.